Ed, he's a journalist and he's reading a book and he's talking about like, oh, this writer is trying to make me fall for a red herring, but I won't go for it. (laughs) (laughs) And then when she has her book club, he's like, I don't want to be in a book club and talk about book analysis, like based on my college years. That was so funny. Yeah. If you hear anyone use the phrase narrative arc, like (laughs) kill them for me or something. (laughs) People who talk about storytelling in general, like what a basic thing to to set you off. Because like you're always going to talk about an arc (laughs) of a character or something, you know, story arc. Welcome, friends, to episode 274 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm writer Luke Elliott. And I'm filmmaker James Bailey. And this week, we finish out both the book and TV series, Big Little Lies. And joining us at Trivia Night is Laura from Why the Book Wins podcast and YouTube channel. Welcome back to the show, Laura. Thank you so much for having me on. It's always fun talking to you guys. And I'm very excited to talk about Big Little Lies specifically. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We heard that you're a big fan of this one, so we, you know, couldn't resist bringing you on. Yeah, and I've well, actually read all of Moriarty's books. That's wow. awesome. Uh, also, Laura Dern is is here, and apparently you're our Laura Dern specialist. Yeah, it's <laughs> <Luke> talk. <laughs> Which, uh, by yeah. the way, Treat Williams passed away, like, recently. Oh, I, I didn't hear that. Oh, no. wow. Okay, well, yeah. rest in peace. Um, well, yeah, if we have any other Laura Dern projects in the future, we'll have to consider you. <laughs> yeah. We miss you on, on Jurassic Park, but we had another yeah. guest on for that yeah, one. That's but true. thanks again for coming on. We had you on for a smooth talk. We also had you on for The Hobbit. And, yeah. we, you know, if we, everyone who listened to that knows that, you know, it's not the easiest trilogy to get through there, but yeah. it was yeah. fun to have you on and, and uh, get your perspective. Yeah, we yeah, definitely I mean, had to have you back because that was like not your wheelhouse. And so I wanted to get have you on something that's yeah. a little more your speed. Yeah, definitely. So you said you're a fan of Leanne Moriarty and you've read all of her books. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. So how does, where does this one rank? Uh, Big Little Lies. Is that, is it one of your favorites? Or? So this was the first of hers that I read and I think it is my favorite. I don't know if it's oh. like the first bias thing, but I've loved all of her books, but something about this one, I think just the overall plot and the ending, it all just comes together so well, but I love all of her books because her characters like just feel so real. And I remember when I was reading this one, like, the three main characters like I felt so attached to them and like as if they were someone I knew and then she does that with all of her books where she just fleshes them out so well and it feels like yeah like it's someone you know and so that's why I love all of her books although she has some some of her more recent ones like Apple's Apples Never Fall and Nine Perfect Strangers. She has so many characters. And so Mm. she goes so in depth with all of them that it starts to feel like too much. (laughs) And it's like, okay, I don't need this backstory for all of these characters. It's just kind of goes on and on. Interesting. For the most part. Yeah. I love her books. I mean, it sounds like she's experimenting with, uh, you know, bigger casts, which, you know, sometimes an experimentation, it's not always going to land. Did you read Big Little Lies before the series came out? Or did you hear about the series and that made you want to read it? So I saw a trailer for the show. I don't think it was out completely yet, but the trailer looked really good. And so I looked it up and I saw it was based on a book. And so then I read the book in 2017. And then afterwards, I was looking up the TV show because I guess I was like getting ready to watch it or something. But then when I was reading about the TV show, I read that they have Madeline cheat on her husband. And like I said, I felt like <laughs> so connected to these characters. And so yeah. I felt so like protective of Madeline. And I was like, she never would have cheated on Ed. And they have such a great relationship in the book. Like, how could they do that? 
And I was so upset that I never stopped, watched the TV show. Um, wow. until now. That was what my, my question too. Cause I was like, how did she never see this show? If you're such a big fan. And that's so funny that that is the reason. I took it so personal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, since we're talking about it, I did see in my research that that change was done with Moriarty's blessing. Like she, she okayed that. Yeah. Um, you know, and it is a big deviation for a character like Madeline in this case. So. Yeah, I, I think I have I have some theories about why they I think they chose to do it, um, whether or not it's worth it, I think will be up for us all to, to weigh in on. But I have some theories about why I think they might have why they might have gone that route. Um, yeah, it's definitely a big change. And, and, you know, I reacted to it in our last episode, I think it, it was like, well, I don't know where they're going with this. Um, now I see where they went with it. And I can at least kind of give some some thoughts in that way. Although it seems like just to get ahead of ourselves a little bit, it seems like they left some stuff for season two instead of yeah. wrapping up things at the end of this that um, in the book even were actually wrapped up. Yeah. Instead, it seemed like they left a lot of dangling threads for a season two. Well, I was going to ask you, like, did they know they were getting a season two? I don't know that they knew it. They definitely didn't plan for it. So it's interesting to see some of these threads because like you said, absolutely. And having seen, I think I saw all of season two, they, they continue some of those threads that you would think they needed to kind of solve. And there's a few things from the book that got left out that I think they then bring back in for season two. That makes sense. I yeah. assume so, right? Because there were several big things at the very end of the book that are not in the show. Yeah, and um, Moriarty yeah. has come out and talked about like there there is a novella that exists that season two is based on, but it will never release. Is yeah. So apparently, I got that wrong because I, I I was I was talking to my wife about that because I guess she tried to go find it after she because I told her like oh apparently there's a novella she went to try and go read it she's like you can't read it it's not available yeah. So, okay, so it, it exists, but, you know, I, it seems like it just kind of got turned into show material. Yeah, seems mm -hmm. like it. Well, clearly she's very heavily involved then, sounds like. I think that they just saw the, the vision that she had, and she understood the characters to such an extent that they were like, why wouldn't we lean on her as a resource? Like, you know, that just sure. makes total sense. Well, before we get into it anymore, I just wanted to thank our supporters over on Patreon for selecting this. This was actually a community choice, uh, our second of the year. Um, and it's been a great one. I'm having a lot of fun with it. And it's one that I've been putting off and like, I'm glad I finally got to. Um, so, you know, shout out to everybody who voted for it. Yeah, yeah thank I'm you. a patron, so I voted for this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, thanks Laura. Laura. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really fun to to get to cover something like this. I've talked about it on our previous episode, but like this, when this show was coming out, it was like peak TV at the time. I was like, oh my God, it's incredible. And then getting to the end here, where we get to finally talk about some of the big reveals and like, Everyone I talked to about this show was just blown away. And then, of course, people who I've since talked to that have read the book as well. It's similar, similar kinds of things are revealed. But there yeah. are some major deviations in the show. Yeah. And I'll be interested to see mm -hmm. how you feel that sort of, you know, sorts its way out. Yeah, I've got thoughts as well. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. Uh, you know, really interesting experience, I guess, if just generally finishing it out. Um, there was a couple things I called minor things but like I, I was giving myself credit because uh, I, I talked about the the violence of the beach and the, the ocean crashing waves as being like a motif that clearly they were working with and then at the end during like one of the big like assault they're literally intercutting waves crashing so I was like oh I totally called that yeah. uh, but then I definitely got other things wrong um, you know didn't didn't call a lot of the big reveals it makes for a good mystery too like and this is a satisfying one I would say because all the clues are there yes you can definitely put them together it's not the easiest mystery to sort out but I remember just being like completely floored like oh my yeah. god all the reveals hit really really squarely for me 
Yeah. And when I read this book for the first time, I finished it in like two days, which by the way, this was my third time reading it because I'm pretty sure I oh, read wow. this again in like 2019 or something. But this time around, I started it um, like it was over a week ago and I was like, oh, I need to give myself time because this is a longer book. And even though I've read it before, I finished it in like three days. So I still read yeah. it really fast. Uh, but yeah, my first time reading it, I read it so quick that I never even had time to like think about what like what was going to be, who is it? Because I was just so immersed in it. And yeah. yeah, my jaw was on the floor at that ending. I was so surprised. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because they don't give you a body. It's so hard. Yeah. Like most mysteries, you at least know who died. So you can start trying to figure out who could have had motive. But when you don't know who died, it's basically impossible to figure out who could have possibly had motive. Yeah. Um, I will. I, I had actually wrote down some predictions going into the trivia night uh, when I got there in the book because I, I read the book to the end before I watched the end of the show. Although I did, there was like a little bit of interspersing, but I wanted to make sure I finished the book first. So that's where I got the reveal for the first time, just for the record. James, so this is also your first time finishing the book now after having seen the show. Any any uh, observations about the book as it compared to the show? As these things tend to do. Uh... My appreciation for, for the show was heightened by finishing the book because there's some subtleties that you just, I don't at least pick up on, on a first viewing of something like this. And getting really close to the characters and seeing, uh, you know, I'm typically, especially because I saw this first, I'm thinking of it from a filmmaker's perspective, like reading this and what are you latching onto in the material? I, I can totally see Jean-Marc Vallée and um, David E. Kelly reading through this and seeing like i like this this is something i would change slightly i had a lot of enjoyment for the book because it came up with the idea of having those interspersed like interviews with the police yeah that were always really fun to like start chapters or end chapters uh and they those were big misdirects throughout i think for the mystery totally and just the rumor the rumor mill turning on at the end of each chapter is really fun this book i i would consider it like almost like pulpy mystery but then it's got these like really hard-hitting emotional beats and like heavy uh, subject matter in them that you know I haven't read a lot of books like this and I, I so I appreciate it for that yeah and I do think this book because it gets into heavy topics obviously but I feel like she also does it so well it seems realistic and accurate some writers write about trauma and it's almost like they romanticize it or glorify it or make it seem like sexy or something I don't know and so it just comes off weird or like like as they're writing it it feels like they're just like reveling in the trauma mm -hmm. they're putting their mm -hmm. characters through uh and i didn't think this book came across that way at all and it just really accurately shows it and shows like the nuances and the complications that arise from these things and so yeah i thought yeah. she did it really well in reading a book you get closer to these characters and and while viewing the show kind of get to see these the characters and go through all of these things but when you get to live the perspective of a character i find that it's like about as close as you can be to a person so because Luke and I are both white guys who don't live in Monterey and aren't super wealthy and or, you know, are going through some of these things. I felt like it's it's a fun way to get to it's about as close as I'll ever get to understanding what it's like to be a woman in these scenarios. And I appreciate it for that change in perspective, which, by the way, I did like in the TV show how we see more of Renata. And so you can empathize more yeah. with her character, whereas the book. Yeah, we don't get Renata's perspective yeah. at all. So yeah. That was one of the the sort of like breadcrumb trails that I was leaving for Luke is that like in one of the episodes, I was like, there's kind of five characters. There's kind of five Five main characters and I was kind of alluding to like how important Renata and Bonnie would become by the end of especially the show but also the book I definitely saw the Renata redemption arc coming um and I, I appreciated it even though I knew it was coming 
she she never did anything that was like irredeemable and you could always kind of understand why she was being the way she was being but you were really um, upset with her you have to admit, no, no like, i was you were, you were in those episodes you were like i hate I was, her and she's the worst i didn't say that <laughs> <laughs> maybe i said she's yeah. the worst i may have said yeah. that no but i mean it, it it would take a big apology and a big like mea culpa right. from her for me to to come back around on her and she gave that um, yeah. as we get there to the to the end um and, and in fact i think the book version might have been a little more convincing than the show version for me although we see there's like a scene that the show has that isn't in the book too where she actually where when jane goes to the house that does a lot but um yeah we'll get there in the final episode i don't want to get too ahead of ourselves because <laughs> there's a lot different in that final that final showdown so yeah. laura as this is your first time seeing the show did did anything change for you uh having seen the show thinking back about the book they don't really change my view of the book really like I still love the book the five-star read for me um I am glad I finally did watch the tv show and I am curious now to watch season two too so mm -hmm. it definitely hooked me and made me interested and yeah there's some changes which again with that final scene some changes they made but I think it was fitting for the show because like visually versus reading like you have to make some changes and there's some changes the tv show made that I liked such as the Renata stuff but then other times it feels like they're just putting filler in there because it's a TV show and they need to fill seven hours. So that's one reason why TV show adaptations I don't always like because it feels like they're just trying to fit more in there. And so I have mixed feelings about that. But yeah, I guess it didn't really change my view on the book, but I'm glad I read the book because you kind of mentioned this with Bonnie where there were things with the TV show that wasn't straight out said, but yeah. because I'd read the book, I could see what they were implying, I think, that they were implying based on what they we learned about Bonnie in the book. So yeah, I'm glad I've read the book and watched the TV show. And I think they both complement each other so well. Yeah, so it seems like, James, you've seen season two, right? Yes. And I can't so remember if I've finished out season two. It's been a long time. But okay, so you're the only one who has any knowledge beyond to kind of give you a little bit of a spoiler. <laughs> um, what you're alluding to, like some of the Bonnie stuff is explored in season two. Mm -hmm. I figured so, it would okay. be. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Laura, you on your show, and um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember you covering many TV shows. Do you cover n no TV shows or it's just rare? I never have. I actually never was going to cover Nine Perfect Strangers, which is another Moriarty adaptation. Uh, and I've got like three seasons, three episodes in, and then I just didn't finish it. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, so this one, though, I mean, I really like this TV show. So it made me think like, you know, maybe I should start covering TV shows on my show because this you know, yeah. I really enjoyed it. So if if I'm gonna be like a stuck in the mud movie person here just for a second, I, I agree with you. Like there's something about the finite nature of a of a movie that's like this whole rounded experience that you get in one go and nobody can say, Oh, it's too long. I can't I don't I can't I can't watch that. It's this experience that you and there's something magical about that length. It's a very quick experience, but it can be so impactful. And something about TV shows is like People are really into them because you get to just watch and watch and watch and there's so much time to spend with the characters and I love TV shows for that. But I also can see why you wouldn't have ventured into the TV space because it can be tough for us to cover on the show at times. It's a lot of it's a time commitment and then also just talking about basically seven movies uh, yeah. is, is, you know, can be kind of difficult. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with that. Like it's it's hard to cover on our show. We found our way to do it that I think works okay, but we have to like be careful about how many TV shows we cover in a year because it'll severely limit the number of things we can cover. Yeah. Well, it um, takes up 3 weeks of your at least. time. Yeah, at least. Um and it, it we, sometimes we do more if, if it's like a longer book or a longer TV show. In defense of it, like I do think TV 
is kind of a natural fit, especially for longer books. Sometimes I think it, it actually lends itself better um, depending on the plot structure of the book. Cause like uh, if you have a traditional three act structure in the book that lends itself to a movie well, but a lot of books these days are playing around with that and, and expanding out on that kind of traditional format. And so it ends up working better in sort of like a, a bunch of little rising falling actions yeah. that you can divide up into episodes when it's done so, well there's no question yeah. that it's like it's a medium that's worth you know seeing yeah. things on well some of our favorite adaptations we've covered have been tv so sure. it, there is some great ones out there for sure um i'd be really curious to hear your thoughts on sharp objects honestly if you want. gillian flynn just sounds like three books right yeah that's i know i haven't read yet She's got to release another one. Oh. I'm, I'm such a big fan. Yeah. Um, oh, I wanted to revisit before we completely leave it behind. You were talking about the way the trauma was handled in the book. Um, and I agree. I think she handles it really well. Um, and her, I think she does it with the purpose of not letting it sort of overshadow the ability to have fun in the book because you still yeah. like, I walk away from reading the book, having a good time and like laughing at a lot of the ridiculousness and like, it is still kind of a light read despite it being so heavy at times. And I, you know, commend her for being able to pull that off. Obviously I think other authors don't want that and they want, it's never really a good vibe for somebody who seems to be reveling in it and like malicious or like almost making it exotic or, or sexy in some way. Um, but I think there are other authors who want it to kind of overshadow everything and like seep into everything and make everything feel wrong um, and specifically, we were talking about Gillian Flynn. I think she does that really well, where like the trauma and sharp objects is just pervasive and it, and it feels like it sticks to you. So I just, it's just different approaches you can take to it, I think, for different reasons. And I think the show, it, it gets a little more into that territory. Like, I don't know that it walks the line as well. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that, like the way it deals with the darkness and the sort of light, funny stuff, because the light, funny stuff was a nice little reprieve in the show but it almost felt like beside the point in a way that it didn't in the book for me yeah i remember when i saw the trailer back in 2017 one of the things that caught me about it was that it looked like a dark comedy and i like dark comedy so i was like oh sure. cool and the book definitely is more of a dark comedy in some ways but the tv show just felt more serious throughout so yeah like there was some humor but not much yeah um and like you were talking about with gillian flynn like i do think you know, I always think of Beloved too by Toni Morrison. That's like one of okay. the darkest, heaviest books I've ever read, but it's so well done. Discussing trauma, like there's the different styles and each can be appropriate depending on what the author is going for. The time when it annoys me, like specifically with like domestic abuse, when certain books talk about it, I keep thinking of like a romanticized way. Also like Crazy Rich Asians, the book has this subplot where this woman is being abused by her husband, but then there's this handsome neighbor down the way and he rescues her and he protects mm. her. And it's like, oh, it's so romantic and oh, like so tragic and exciting, but like, uh, yeah. And so I don't know, it just rubs me the wrong way when it's written like that. And this yeah. one doesn't come but, across as like, ooh, like it's so terrible, but it's exciting, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of troubling tropes that exist in media yeah. around, around these topics. And I, I agree, it seems like we skirt around them a lot. It would have been very easy, especially with someone like Skarsgård playing Perry, to really romanticize it and make it seem like sexy and something that people would actually, you know, want in some weird way. Um, right. you, could see, you could see a filmmaker doing that. Um, and, and I felt like they did a good job at keeping it horrific and, and, and yeah. not glamorizing it, in my opinion. Yeah. It, and then I also like in book and movie how we also see all of Perry, though, and how she's like, you know, it's not just 
which I guess I don't know if this is a spoiler. I mean, we're already getting into it anyway, but yeah, she's yeah. like, he's not just a man who hits his wife. He's like a great dad and he's so yeah. fun and like all of these things, like the full scope of who he is. Right. No, he's a great guy. He just happens to do this thing. Uh, and so it's at least yeah. you, can, you can see like why she thinks that. Right. And like, yeah. uh, I think it's 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 really interesting because I think that all falls apart at the end as we yeah. as the reveal happens with Jane. Not to get too far ahead, but the therapist in the TV show says a great line where she says something. I like wrote it down, uh, but she says something about how Celeste is so self-aware while at the same time has so much self-denial. <laughs> yeah, it's a good observation. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, in comparing the the abuse in the book, in the, in the show too, like we mentioned that they took this, the tone of the book and definitely darkened it and turned it into like this prestige HBO drama. And there are lighter parts of it. But I remember when I first saw the show in, I guess, 2017, it was a good moment of awareness for me of being like, oh, this kind of stuff is happening. And of course, I I, he I know about it and I hear about it. But seeing it in a show depicted in this way with characters that we care about, I felt like it was good for my just like overall awareness and being more receptive and and uh, or at least perceptive and trying to see other people might be going through things. And, and not While being also, obvious. Yeah, while also yeah. acknowledging that like it was it's horrific in the show and it's it's I mean like these actors went through it as well like Nicole Kidman talks about like she ended up with bruises from some of the stunts that they were doing and she was she was wanting it to to go that far but you know it wasn't easy and they they lived with this trauma like Skarsgård had to like have a friend that he was staying with so that he could like get away from Perry uh, as a character and then Celeste there's the scene when she's like laying on the ground um, in just like a bra and her underwear and she's like curled up and Nicole Kidman talked about how like she she wasn't even getting up between those scenes like she was she was really feeling a lot of those emotions so it's this wow. like really dark realistic depiction of like what happens in the world and I don't know I, I, when the you know the time that it hit me it felt like it was good for you know just in general people being aware that these things are happening and how bad it is and how passionate we should be about like you know trying to help people in these scenarios Totally. And I think you're touching on something that might have affected why the tone feels so different. It's like these scenes are being depicted and like the actors are going through it and we can see that. And it's just different than writing about it. Um, and as much as like, yeah, you can imagine it in a vivid way. It's just different seeing it. And so it's probably harder to then cut to like a lighter jokey part. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. in the show, like they probably realized that that tone wasn't going to work as well, considering the yeah. subject matter. That's so true. I'm always like, man, if I was a loved one of either Nicole Kidman or Alexander Skarsgård, I wouldn't be able to watch this show because seeing either yeah. one, the positions they're in, I'm like, Ooh, if they were someone I loved, like I can't watch that. <laughs> Those performances are excellent too. Like we talked about it last week, but they both got Golden Globe nominations and Emmys and everything, and and deservedly so. Like both of them, are, they're they're so complex. There's there's so much drama to it. So emotional and. And both of them just just knock it out of the park. The scenes where Nicole Kidman was talking with the therapist, um, I was thinking about in the book, there's a line where I think it's Madeline says that when Celeste lies, she looks you in the eye. And I thought that Nicole Kidman picked that up and did that with Celeste because she when she would look the therapist right in the eye and lie to her. Yeah. Um, and I thought that, that was like it really it showed that like lawyer part of her, too. Like she's not afraid to engage while being deceptive <laughs> to throw some shade on some lawyers sorry <laughs> okay so moving into these plot synopsis here i think this will give us good jumping off points and we'll kind of compare what these synopsis from the show are to some of the changes that they made and 
with the original source material. So this episode is episode five. It's called Once Bitten. Nathan spots Jane at the gun range and tells Madeline. Although Jane reassures Madeline that she carries a gun solely for its psychological benefits, Madeline begins to regret tracking down Saxon Baker, the man whom she believes to be Saxon Banks. Renata discovers a bite mark on Amabella's arm, but Amabella refuses to disclose the perpetrator. Renata assumes Ziggy is culpable, leading to a meeting between Jane and the school principal. Joseph is convinced Madeline still has feelings for him, but she maintains that their affair is over. While they argue, a teenage distracted driver crashes into their car. Madeline is uninjured while Joseph is hospitalized. The incident raises suspicion from both Ed and Joseph's wife, Tori. After one of Perry's violent episodes with Celeste again ends with aggressive sex, Dr. Reisman confronts Celeste with the belief that she is being abused. Celeste eventually reveals that she has previously feared for her life and had considered leaving Perry. Dr. Reisman urges her to do so. Jane secretly travels to San Luis Obispo to confront Saxon Baker, taking her guns with her. Starting with Jane, what did you guys think of the change with Saxon Banks? Because in the book, Saxon Banks is Perry's cousin. So Celeste is like, wait, what? Like, this is his cousin that did this? And then they yeah. totally change that for the show. I thought yeah. it's, a, it's a better misdirect, honestly, with it, it being his cousin adds another element of like oh yeah in the book you're like okay maybe that you know there's the familial history of violence possibly there whatever nature versus nurture kind of thing they were trying to get at with that family sort of inheriting maybe some some demons from their you know different parts of the family uh, mm -hmm. i thought it was a cool way to misdirect to have him also be a family member and him be very close with Perry in that way. It seems like they really are going on the nurture side once we get through everything um, in both the book and the show. Like they're really leaning into the idea that it's it's more like the things that happen to people, their upbringing, bullying in particular is a big, big topic throughout the book. Um, but yeah, I, I think we should say we are going to spoil the reveals because I want to talk about this as it relates to the reveals. So if you, if you haven't listened, if you haven't watched the rest of the show, like do that before you listen to the rest of this episode um, slash read the book. Talking reveals and the cousin. It, it, it has an interesting effect on the reveal that Perry is actually Saxon Banks. I want to know from a show only watcher, which I guess James, you're the only one here. Um, how did you feel about that reveal? Did it seem like too much or like too, too perfect that it would end up being the same guy that has been abusing Celeste all along? To be perfectly honest. Did it bother honest. you at all? No, not at all. I mean, I, I didn't see it coming up until the moment that it's revealed at the very end of the show. So maybe that that paints my, you know, sort of experience with it. But yeah. that reveal I, like hit really hard because it all was, you know, came back to both Celeste and Jane's trauma comes back yeah. to one person, I think is, I don't know, a huge bombshell for me. Sure. And and it is, but it's like, I guess, I, I wonder if there were people who were like put off by how convenient that is that it would end up being the same guy. In no, the book, ahead. it also explains how it wasn't coincidence because Jane purposely moved to that area because she suspected Saxon lived there. So in the book, it's like, wow, this isn't a crazy coincidence. Like Jane right. intended this to happen. Whereas in the TV show, it's like, whoa, who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, I thought that was an important detail in the book. And that's a huge reveal too, when you're like, oh my gosh, like she yeah. did this on purpose. That and then also the it being his cousin, um, the name helps set up the reveal too because and it's a little bit of a misdirect because you think, oh, it's it's kind of convenient, but I guess it's believable that it could be his cousin. But then the reveal is that he was using his cousin's name and it was actually him all along. And then all of a sudden that feels more believable. So it makes you want to believe that reveal and then because the whole cousin name thing gets completely omitted from the show, it kind of comes out of nowhere that it's him. 
we have and, and like we we don't know the other thing is like the book gets more into like him being like a traveling businessman and like like and I, I don't know like it links the travel and like what he said to her is gone into more so just the whole reveal around perry in my opinion it makes more sense in the book I didn't necessarily dislike the way it was done in the show, but it was hard to separate the two because I had the book knowledge. Yeah. Um, but I was That's sitting there going like, "Is this, does this come out of the complete blue for show only watchers? And maybe that has something to do with like the medium, right? Like if you give too many clues in a visual medium, I think that like it becomes more obvious. So maybe they were mm-hmm. holding some stuff back, trying to That's keep the mystery alive. I don't know. I, it's, it's hard to say. Cause like, again, I went into the show with book knowledge at yeah. that point. So I guess I, James watching the TV show for the first time for driving down to San Luis Abyss probably was more exciting right whereas me who had read the book i was like i know nothing's gonna happen <laughs> right yeah. the, it's interesting they introduced the whole gun element right because that's not in the book she doesn't have a gun in the book right. um she's not like constantly dreaming about shooting although maybe she mentioned something about it but like it, yeah it's just definitely very different and, and i think they did that specifically to make us think she was the one who kills somebody it's interesting because it does add an element of like gun culture <laughs> becoming a, a little bit under the microscope not gun culture in the broader sense but just the idea of like she feels conflicted about the fact that she has a gun she talks about how it makes her feel safe she sleeps with it under her pillow which seems very dangerous when you have a small child in the house an apparently loaded gun under your pillow <laughs> So like there, th- that whole thing gets introduced that isn't present in the book. And a lot of those topics are pretty tricky. Trying to put myself back in 2017 and think about like where we were and what, yeah. what, of course they're trying to make the same point. A single mother who is wanting to feel a sense of power and agency again like that. And, and I, I can believe that she would be, you know, oh, she would get a gun and totally she would, believe it. you know, be into it for those reasons, for protection reasons. But yeah, it's, you know, cause I'm not really a gun person. I, you know, I'm always like, oh, well, there's, you know, other ways of protecting yourself. That, when you that have a is... six-year-old one who, like, sleepwalks yeah. and gets into your bed at night, it's probably not yeah. good to have a loaded gun under your pillow. <laughs> so let's get back into some of the other things that happened in this episode. Uh, I think we got to talk about the affair. I think it's a good time to talk about that because we get Joe, his confrontation with Madeline, where he, like, pulls her out of the coffee shop. They get in the car together. This accident happens. And then we get the scene at the hospital. Laura, how did you feel about it? Because I know that this was a sticking point for you. Yeah, I mean, they totally changed the relationship dynamic between Ed and Madeline because in the book, yeah, they just have such a great relationship. They make it like make sense and like not make sense, but it's kind of understandable, I guess, why she does it because she's just bored and she has the whole thing where she's like, you know, I try so hard to be perfect and something about like, it's so hard to be perfect that I guess like that's too much pressure and this is like the outlet for it I guess yeah and so there's something about her that also like wants to self-sabotage this great life she has with Ed but also with the character of Ed like the way he's written in the book I feel like Adam Scott could have played him so well the way he's written but then they just changed his character too um what's the what's the change you're reacting to well they have more drama with Nathan where he's more insecure and jealous over Nathan whereas in the book that wasn't really a thing this doesn't really have to do with the affair but I like the part in the book where Ed he's a journalist and he's reading a book and he's talking about like oh this writer is trying to make me fall for a red herring but I won't go for it (laughs) (laughs) and then when she has her book club 
he's like, oh, I don't want to be in a book club and talk about book analysis, like based on my college that was years. So like, funny. If, yeah. If you hear anyone use the phrase narrative arc, like kill them for me or something. <laughs> People who talk about storytelling in general, like what a basic thing to, to set you yeah, off. Cause like you're always going to talk about an arc <laughs> of a character or something, you know, story arc. And then, yeah. yeah. So I think he was just funnier in the book. And there's a part where Madeline is like complaining about Nathan and uh, Ed is like, oh, like, do you want me to kill him for you or something? And she's like, yes, please. <laughs> yeah. And so they just had a cute back and forth. And also the story about how they met um, with her, like playing baseball in her heels. And he says how he can tell that Jane and Celeste are damaged because he used to be attracted to damaged girls. And she's like, well, I was damaged. And he's like, no, like you were heartbroken, but you weren't damaged. Like those are mm. two different things. But yeah, so the affair, again, it's one of those things. It kind of comes around with the stuff with Abigail later on with her, Abigail saying her mom is like an actual person, you know, who yeah. has a life Abigail knows nothing about. So I can see why they included it for that aspect. But it was also one of those things that I felt was just kind of added in to create more tr drama for the TV show. I think clearly added in to make create drama, right? Um, especially, we talked about how there's more Ed in the show. They made him a little bit more of a, of a central character. And this adds an element to their relationship that makes it interesting. It's dramatic. Um, it also it amps up the jealousy he's feeling. I think he, I think he does kind of misplace it a little bit towards Nathan. Like he already is going to be. It's going to be weird seeing your ex, your wife's ex husband, all the time, and you're going to be kind of jealous. But then if you think she's having an affair elsewhere then you're going to be even more like amped up to be jealous. And so I could see him sort of displacing that anger towards Nathan. Also, Nathan um, is like more of a jerk in the TV show too. I yeah, think. definitely. We were, uh, my wife and I were talking about like, why is he such a jerk in the show? <laughs> and like, he's kind of a jerk in the book, but like we, we get more of him in the show, but he also, and I think to come back to that, like why? I think it's because he never really owns what he did. Mm -hmm. And so everything he does is colored by that to us. Like he seems so petty at times when it's like, and he's not like confronting the fact that he left and like abandoned her for 10 years. And like that, that is a hard thing to get over for anybody. And for us as viewers, I think. Yeah. And I feel like that was, the, that was Madeline's focus in the book, right? Was yeah. Nathan left her and now Abigail prefers Nathan and Madeline is like, wait, what? Like his punishment was supposed to be that you don't like him. And now you prefer being with him. Like this isn't right. how it was supposed to work out. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'm not a mom and I've never, you know, had a guy leave me when I had a baby or something. So I couldn't relate personally, but I feel like in the book, they put you in her shoes so well that you can just like feel that pain that she feels. Whereas yeah. in the movie, like that's part of her story, but then just adding the affair, just kind of, you know, you have more yeah. going on. I mentioned this last week. It felt like every character in the show they wanted to show as a flawed character. They wanted mm -hmm. to show like they have something that's that's like off about them or something that they've done that they'll regret. And I, you know, in doing that, I'm wondering, like, is there some messaging that the show is trying to have that maybe deviates from the, the book? And what I keep landing on is like, they live in this like perfect environment. Everything is supposed to be perfect. We see these rich people. They seem like everything's put together. In the case of Celeste, she has this perfect life, perfect husband. And I think just all across the board, they're just showing like everyone's going through something. Everyone has skeletons in the closet. And maybe that's kind of 
you know, done with a sledgehammer in the show. But I think that's sort of what they were getting at with with adding a lot of this. So often, like in TV shows or movies or something, a character, like you said, you'll like them. But then there's certain things where it's like, oh, man, but why do they have to do that? But that's so realistic because there's no one in real life where it's like, oh, they're all around a great person. Like everybody has something where you're yeah. like, oh, yeah, you know, they did this, but nobody's perfect or whatever. So true. I guess it makes her. I think, yeah, I think realistic. they saw they saw that in her and were like, she's a little bit too likable without something like this. In the like, book, you're saying? Yeah, 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 in the book. They When they were making their decision for how to adapt her, they were like, we got to change this part of her because she's a little bit too likable. But then you were touching on the relationship with the daughter, which I think is another key element to why they did this. And this is kind of a big topic we can get into, I guess, is the whole thing with Abigail. <laughs> is yeah. She is like going to launch a website where she's going to auction off her virginity to raise awareness for like child sex trafficking. And it's handled differently in both the, the book and the show. Yeah. Um, and the way that it comes around in the show is that um, Madeline goes to her and confesses to having cheated on Ed as a way to say, like, I'm not perfect. Your image of me is wrong. And then I think that, like, big confession brings them closer because she's now revealed this, like, horrible secret about herself that they then can talk about. And so it, it, it brings like Abigail back closer to her and their relationship arc, uh, and to use a term that Ed would probably <laughs> hate. Um, I think it, it sort of comes back to that, right? And I, I, I could see that that was something that they crafted because I'll admit in the book, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of repair that goes on between her and Abigail because it kind of gets swooped by Celeste. And this whole uh, Larry Fitzgerald, which is just funny for anybody who watches football, he's like a <laughs> Hall of Fame receiver. So when I heard Larry Fitzgerald, I'm like, are they talking about the receiver? What is talking on? And then it ends up being some made up guy from Nebraska. 80 year old man. And yeah, like, yeah, but it's actually Celeste. That being a change in the book wasn't something that I saw coming, obviously, because I'd only seen the show. I kind of liked it at first in seeing Celeste do that. I'm like, Celeste is such a badass. I fucking love Celeste for, you know, paying $100,000 to to get Abigail to sort of like change her perspective and and see see this as you know something that she yeah. doesn't need to do. But does now, Abigail really learn a lesson in exactly, the book at all? That's what I was gonna <laughs> yeah. say. When I went to watch the show, I was like, okay, I kind of see where they're like, let's let's have the arc continue. Let's see let's see like something change here rather than a superhero swooping in and saving the day. Um, but the uh, stuff with Abigail, all too like. I was a rebellious sort of punk rock kind of teenager too. And I think like to do this for such a good cause is so it's cool and it's smart and it's, it's like, but at the same time, like you're like seeing it as an adult, you're like, you just can't do something like this. You can't. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, well, it was I, so I, shocking Madeline, too, because in the book, she's like 14, I think. Yeah. And that like paints it in a, I mean, like she, she's 16 in the show, so it's still just as horrible, but just yeah. in general, I'm just like, to, to be a 14 year old that has this kind of stuff on your mind and to be thinking about Amnesty International and all this stuff. I'm like, I mean, it's it's super cool and it's rebellious and it's and it's awesome. But, you know, it's just not going about it the right way. And ultimately, I like that that was brought up in the book. And, and I think that it's a cool way to. I, I think Madeline even like explained her reasoning a little better in the show where she was like, you know, you're not for sale ever. And, yeah, and like she yeah. there was a couple of lines in that thing that made it make sense in a way that I, I think the book didn't quite get. Yeah, I have a question for you both, just because I feel like it's an interesting thought experiment. If this if this is an 18 year old, 19 year old person uh. who's an adult, <laughs> do you feel differently about this? Do you th do you, of course you feel differently because she's not a child. But do yeah. you think that this is like uh, sex positive or something? Or do you see this? Is this like something like like some sort of agency taken or is it still just as sort of murky a situation? 
think it's still pretty murky. Yeah. <laughs> maybe if they were like, because 18 and 19 is still so young. So maybe yeah, if totally. it's like a yeah. 25-year-old or something, a 30-year-old, then it's kind of like, okay, well. So yeah, I feel like that's still pretty young. And even if I knew like a grown adult who was doing it, I would still be like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah I feel like 18, 19 is still too young. And if they were my yeah. kid, for sure, I would still be like, hey, you might be an adult, but sure. you're still really young to be doing something like this. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. If it was my kid, I would not be a fan. <laughs> right. If it's somebody else who's 18 or 19 year old and trying to do that, ultimately it's not really my place to have an opinion on it. Like I, it, it, like I have an opinion, but why would they care? And why should they care? It's their choice. The fact that it's a child changes everything. Yeah. So uh, this car accident, uh, shocking. I think this is maybe some of what you're what you're talking about before, Laura. This maybe feels a little like filler. Like this is yeah. some stuff that's added for drama and thinking about it. I didn't it love way. the way it was shot, by the way. It, he, oh, yeah? it seemed like it was sped up. Like I get that accidents and stuff happen very quickly. But it felt almost like um, they were deliberately trying to make it just like a flash and it was over. And because of that, they kind of sped up the way the, the car was moving. And it to me, it felt unnatural. I think in, when you think of this as just a show, which is how I experienced it, a lot of these things didn't bother me. Seeing the accident, that was shocking. And I was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen sure. now with the relationship here and everything? Is Ed going to find out? Um, and just to jump to the end, the fact that we don't get resolution of this yeah. Uh, as far as Ed and Madeline, I think that's what sticks with me now. And I'm like, oh, man, like it kind of really was filler if you didn't if you didn't address it in any way. Probably if they had never made a season two, like it yeah. would have felt like, why did why was that in there? It was just yeah. a red herring, I guess, at that point, because they were trying to make us think that maybe Ed was going to kill somebody. When you're reading the book or watching the show, not knowing how it's going to end, all of these things you don't know that it leads nowhere. Right. <laughs> so yeah. as you're watching it, you're like, oh, my gosh, like, how does this come into play? Yeah, but then it's after yeah. the fact when you're watching it, knowing that nothing's going to happen with it. You're just kind of like, you see it more as filler. Whereas in the moment, without knowing the end, it doesn't bother you because you don't know that. It Maybe it was the episode before this, but this was basically one of the big reveals about the extent of the affair Madeline was having um, with this Joe character. And like, Joe, I don't know, man. Like, I get why he's upset, I guess. But he seems like a piece of crap, too. Like he's he's so not owning the fact that what he's been doing is terrible and like he's so dismissive of of like his wife's concerns and yeah. her emotions he just feels seems like, like a real piece of shit like i yeah. don't like him at all doesn't feel and, like a super well-realized character either yeah. he's kind of like a cardboard cutout where you're just like yeah, yeah she had an affair with this person and he's he kind of lingers and has some looks around at the characters and which i guess makes sense because it makes us feel bad for ed even more because we're like this is the guy like this guy's i mean i guess he's handsome but like other than yeah. that, like, what is redeemable about this guy? He seems terrible. <laughs> sure. So moving into the next episode, episode six is called Burning Love. Jane reveals to Madeline that she went to confront Saxon Baker, who turned out to be the wrong man. Madeline attempts to convince Jane to give up the search. Miss Barnes relays to Jane that a petition has begun to have Ziggy suspended. Although Renata did not start it, Jane confronts her and accidentally gouges her eye. She later apologizes, realizing that they both want to protect their children. Renata forgives her. Celeste's therapist advises her to prepare to leave Perry by renting an apartment and disclosing the abuse to friends. Perry later tries to forcefully initiate sex with Celeste, who defensively fractures his penis with a tennis racket. Returning from the hospital, Perry tells Celeste that she is lucky that he did not kill her. The following day, Celeste begins looking for an apartment. At the opening night of Avenue Q, Tori confronts Madeline about having an affair with Joseph. 
Bonnie tells Nathan that Abigail is secretly planning on auctioning her virginity to raise money for Amnesty International. At their couple's dinner, the two reluctantly tell Madeline and Ed. Madeline furiously confronts Abigail, disclosing her affair in the process. The petition, I first encountered it in the book, and it was definitely infuriating. Um, I, I could see why this would drive Jane wild um, and enough to attack somebody. But it's also funny because she doesn't attack anybody. Um, and in the book, it's even less. She like kicks sand or something at um, Harper, Harper, I think it is, who is terrible in both versions. Um, yeah. And then like the way it immediately gets twisted into this like big assault um, by all these parents. It just, oh man, like I would, yeah. It's like, I would, everybody would hate me at this school because every little thing apparently can get twisted into some giant interaction. Well, and I feel like I wouldn't be able to hold, keep my cool. A lot of these people are able to sort of yeah. socially navigate it. I would just blow my top and I'd be like, fuck everyone here. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, it would get, it would be, I'd be the outcast. For and that's sure. why I like, I'm cheering for Madeline. Cause she's the character who does that. Like, I, I love that she's cuts through the shit and calls people out. Um, because in this situation, it's like, that's, that's just what you want someone to do because it's, it's so much bullshit going on. Yeah, and I did like in the TV show when Jane goes to see Renata and she apologizes and she's like, hey, like, I don't know what to do. Like, Ziggy saw a therapist and she says it's not him. So, like, you know, we have more in common than we think because we're both at our wit's end in this situation. And I also like when she and Renata are talking later outside of the school and then Harper comes up and she's like, is everything okay? And then Renata and Jane have, like, Jane makes a joke and Renata laughs. And so just yeah. seeing them bond, I liked in the TV show. And then Harper like wilts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty funny. I, I This starts Renata's sort of redemption like we talked about. Mm -hmm. um, and they lay the groundwork for it here um, with that extra scene that we don't get in the book where they like go and have that apology. It's interesting that this occurs before her husband, Renata's husband, confronts them at the coffee shop which i think actually happens next episode maybe or at the end of this one i don't remember clearly they haven't been talking because you wouldn't think that this would occur if renata had shared that they had made up a little bit like you wouldn't think that this would play out this way but then there's also the difference with that character because in the book he's been cheating with the nanny and at least so far in the show that hasn't been revealed and we don't know that which that yeah guy's a real piece of shit by the way that guy yeah crazy. something about his look too yeah. it's just like man i don't <laughs> like this guy he's just got, he's got a dick face like that's not good i'm sorry yeah yeah um but also it was interesting too in one of the episodes when they find out that amabella is still being bullied and renata the way she approaches it is being like you need to stand up for yourself amabella like you can't just sit by and let these things happen like that's why people don't like me it's because i don't let these things happen but mm. then the dad the way he tries to approach it is he's like you know, tell us what's going on, Amabella. You're too nice to let this happen. What if it's happening to other kids? And so seeing how a woman approaches her daughter, being like, stand up for yourself, versus the man being like, you're too nice to let this happen. Like, what, you know? Yeah, I, I think uh, when my wife and I were talking about this too, it's like the one redeemable quality to her husband is that he seems to be a decent dad. That's like the one thing like that we see him do because he seems like a shitty husband in my opinion <laughs> but he does seem to be a decent dad and it's like the one thing they give him because otherwise he's pretty terrible throughout yeah and I, it was maybe it was meant to be annoying but when he has his confrontation with jane like he holds his glasses oh, yeah. up and it's like why, why oh, are no. you doing this right no. now look like an idiot <laughs> in in uh in the book it's a different dad right like it's not even yeah it's him. harper's husband in the harper's book. husband yeah so they've they've kind of done some playing around with characters here and combining some characters yeah so we get the uh we get the tennis racket slam broken yeah. urethra in two places apparently yeah yeah i, I thought love that was that. interesting 
because that's yeah. <laughs> that's not in the book but showing like the serious injuries that celeste can cause to him well i was thinking about the whole seesaw thing that is talked about specifically in the book where she's like one of us maybe it's in the show too where it's like someone has the power right she, she sets it up like you know he does something and then i have the power for a while and then it eventually swings back when she hit him in the show, I was like, oh, they're definitely making it to where like he now has all the power um, because she's done the thing that like seriously hurt him. So they're setting up that that swing back to be very dramatic. And I think that's what mm -hmm. that's what we see in the next episode. So I think it works for that reason. Um, yeah, definitely visceral. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a scene, too, where we see Celeste like fighting. She doesn't want to have sex with him in the scenario. And then like yeah. things are progressing, even though she's saying no, basically. And then you know she she responds to that so again it's not like even though they talk about the seesaw thing in my opinion that never really was because it, she was always reacting to and i know that's like about the power like who kind of is holding yeah the i think it's like a, it's the point. perceived power in the relationship is what right. she's talking about right yeah. but um yeah i mean i guess i liked seeing her get get back at him good in this in this scenario sure. in the book which i did, but we didn't you really... see how that makes him feel like he's now like a victim almost like yeah. he he feels like aggrieved to where well, he's gonna he's gonna convince himself that it, he's in the right I and guess. if there's something that i think that would set off a character like perry it's yeah you know assaulting his manhood and like making him feel like less of a Literally. man by by yeah exactly <laughs> and yeah. and so like you know seeing him sort of struggling with that and being like I, you're lucky i didn't kill you i'm like holy shit this guy you know when i watched the show originally and just this, even this time you yeah. just you can see the danger that he he you're like fuck when he heals from that like she's like i'm scared for her so the other funny part uh related to this was how it affects ed and madeline because they have this like oh, conversation right. about or he's like man can you imagine <laughs> broken your in two places he th yeah. yeah exactly like he totally misinterprets what happens and thinks it's just because they're having crazy sex and yeah th that there's this whole like intimacy issue between the two of them that is not in the book that is that is sort of touched on repeatedly here on the show i think it's an interesting one and i think it's something that um we're talking about like adult topics that are of interest to other adults i think you know intimacy levels and really in marriages that's an interesting topic and that's a i think a pretty common point of conflict that people have um and so it was interesting to see how like that perception gets skewed too and i think a lot of this show is like how our perceptions of other people's lives are so often wrong and how we take them to be right and then we take them to our relationships and we make these comparisons and it's like that's not even remotely close to what's actually happening um but then you have a big fight about it <laughs> um so i don't know and of course like this is also all related to the cheating i do think yeah that, like you said that's a big theme of the book and the movie and you know the book ends with celeste talking about how like this could happen to anybody and yeah. also when she first goes to therapy she sees like a woman leaving the therapist's office who just has more of a ragged look and, you know, that's like the kind of person that you would think something would, like this would happen to, right? And so her not wanting to feel like she's part of that. She's like, well, I'm different than, yeah. you know, the typical person you think this happens to. But showing how it can happen to all kinds of people, regardless of their yeah. uh, financial status or whatever. And how uh, they're also like very respected in the town. And it seems like there's an earlier part in the book where they're saying something about like, how if Perry and Celeste can be on their side on whatever topic, how that will really help them because the town really respects them. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah. That's, that shows growth for her, right? Where at the end she has recognized that 
it's not that. It's not the people you expect. It can happen to anybody, including me, and including this guy who she's kind of standing up for in a way at the end, which yeah. is an interesting kind of twist on things because it's you don't usually expect it to be a man who who has been suffering domestic violence, right. but it does happen. And so I think it was Leanne Moriarty trying to include that to be like, this isn't just women. Yeah, know? and both book and movie show too how like the person who's the victim, how with Jane and Celeste in each of their situations, how they try to convince themselves that they aren't a victim in whatever way, like Jane will be like, well, I went there wanting to hook up with him. So in some ways, like it's not as bad as you might think. Uh, Or with Celeste, how she like Google searches like domestic abuse and she reads these stories and she's like, well, that's not as bad as me and Perry. So really it's not that bad. And I hit him back, right? So I'm not the victim because I'm part of this. And also showing when the therapist is like, have you talked to anybody else about this? Like you need evidence. If you go to trial for like custody, they're going to ask you like, this was happening and you didn't tell anybody. (laughs) And so it shows like why people don't tell anybody too, because like, I think people will like victim shame themselves first and that causes them to not want to tell others because then they're like well they're gonna see how like I had it coming anyway and I don't want to see myself as the victim so I don't want to talk about this because then either they're gonna shame me or they're gonna see me as a victim and I don't want to be seen that way because yeah it's so annoying in real life when someone when a woman specifically but men too when they come forward about like some kind of abuse and people will not believe it because be like, that happened like three years ago. So like, why are you just now talking about it? Yeah. <laughs> and not realizing like how complicated and all of these internal emotions that go on that prevent a people, someone from talking about it. I love that moment with the therapist when she was like p- kind of playing the, the lawyer on the other side in the, in the trial. Yeah. She's like, and you, and why didn't you tell anybody? Where's the evidence? Oh, you're just bringing this up now? You know, and like it was so maddening just to hear her saying that even in this scenario. And then you're like, of course, that's what it's going to be like if it went to trial. She was like, a minute ago, you were saying what an amazing man he is. Mm -hmm. And now you're saying that he hits you. Like, so which one is it? Because you're defending him at the same time. So I also thought the tactic of the therapist to to come at it from the legal perspective was going to hit Celeste squarely. And she was going to understand and be like, you're right. So, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, she had to, with her legal background, understand exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, moving into the final episode, episode seven, you get what you need. Following another beating, Celeste decides to leave Perry the day after trivia night. Ziggy confesses to Jane that Max, one of Celeste's sons, was the student who choked Amabella. Jane woefully tells Celeste that her son is the bully. Celeste realizes that Max was emulating Perry's abuse. When preparing to leave for trivia night, Perry sees a text message on Celeste's phone from the landlady of her new apartment. He confronts her on the way to the party, but is interrupted by Renata. At the party, Celeste tells Renata that Max is Amabella's bully. Meanwhile, a drunken Madeline runs away during Ed's singing performance out of guilt about her affair. Jane goes after her and finds her atop stairs at the back of the venue where Madeline tells Jane that she cheated on Ed. Renata also goes after them and apologizes to Jane for having targeted Ziggy. Celeste joins the women, followed by Perry. Bonnie follows them, having noticed Perry hurt Celeste and watches the group from afar. Jane sees Perry and recognizes him as her rapist. Perry pleads with Celeste to come back home with him and when she declines, he viciously attacks her. The group unsuccessfully fights Perry off until Bonnie rushes in and pushes him down the stairs, killing him. In police interviews, the women confirm that a fight with Perry happened, but claim he fell accidentally. Later, the five women and their children lounge at the beach where Detective Quinlan continues to watch them. I wrote down in the book before I got to the trivia night, I said, for the record, I'm thinking that Perry attacks Celeste at the party. 
but Jane or Madeline kill him, probably on accident. And I said, also, I predict they get away with it. <laughs> um, so I was like, kind of right. But I didn't see Bonnie coming. Bonnie Bonnie was the, the sort of X factor I didn't see coming. But I was right that Perry was going to be the one who died. So by the time we got to the party, I was I was ready for Perry to be the one. And then I thought, like, they're going to cover this up. And they do, but it plays out a little bit differently in the book and the show, right? In the book, they start to cover it up, but then Bonnie comes clean. Yeah. Um, whereas in the show, at the end of this season, at least, it's still been covered up. And in the book, they go to show how, like, you know, it was raining and the barrier on the balcony wasn't high enough and whatever. And so, like, legally showing how Bonnie, like, wasn't all to blame or whatever. So, mm-hmm. whereas in the movie, she, like, straight up pushes him down the <laughs> stairs. So it would yeah. be hard to justify and show how it wasn't her fault, you know. Yeah. So it Although it I think, I think it, you know, it's a clearly like a self-defense situation, um, even though yeah. she's not defending herself, she's defending someone else. But like, I would think she'd be legally not like, like I, I'll probably community service, which is what happens in the book. I like, yeah. probably wouldn't be that bad. Um, but I don't know. I could see also it like this is a gray area in law. And like, I, it, depending on how the trial plays out, you could see it going like one way or another. I don't know. This episode and this ending, the reveals and then like how it goes down and the sense of empowerment that I felt the characters had at the end was what left me with such a high note with this show. And yeah. I'm really curious because the book I was a little lower on the ending of the book than I was on the show. And I'll, and I'll explain that, but I'm curious to hear like where you guys ended up with, with the ending. Well, to talk about the book, I definitely found this to be just a very empowering ending. And I love that moment where Renata's about to call and she's like, before I call, like, I didn't see anything. <laughs> yeah. And Nathan, like it's his wife, but also Nathan and Ed are there in the book and how yeah. Ed, he's kind of like, wait, what, what's going on right now? And how... Yeah. Even though, like, he's a great guy, obviously, he's not a woman, right? And so maybe he doesn't quite get it to the same extent that the women around get it. And they all are like, uh, no one's going to be at fault for this guy dying. <laughs> I had got a quote, but now I can't find it. But there's a quote in the book where it says how, like, all of the women at this moment where they, you know, Renata in the book, her husband has been cheating on, on her. And then you got Jane and then Celeste and then Madeline. And so all of them just have this shared moment where the abuse that women can face sometimes and standing up together because of this. And so, yeah, I do like the scene on the beach in the TV show as well, though. So I did think that was really well done and just seeing them together and, uh, now having gotten away with it maybe yeah I, yeah i think it, it was an empowering moment seeing them all together on the beach for sure and i think yeah. that captures the captures the essence of the quote that you you're, you're talking about right like that's i think what they're going for there i thought it was appropriate to not have ed present in the show for the reason of i can't imagine him being present and not attacking <laughs> um, um, Perry in this moment because they've set him up so well in the show as someone who wants to stand up to a bully. And so I, I'm like, if he's present in the scene, he has to intervene. The, yeah, the, the so version true. of the character that's in the show. He can't stand back like he does in the book. Um, and in fact, both him and Nathan, I was like, why, why didn't they like, why didn't they do anything? It's, it kind of defies logic to me. They, they're just not there. And I actually kind of like, I thought it was cleaner because then it's just the women. We can mm-hmm. focus on the women who are present. They're the ones who take this guy down. I liked that change personally. Um, the, the one thing I didn't love about the way the scene plays out is I felt like it happened very quickly. And then we ca- we get some of it in sort of flashbacks, but even in the flashbacks, it's very little. Um, the whole The whole climax plays out so fast. And in the book, 
I felt like they got a chance to like let it play out a little bit more and like we get the confrontation we get the accusation like Jane says it is you and then he tries to defend himself and there's a moment where he realizes he's been cornered and we see him like as a cornered animal lashing out and like that all was a little more rewarding to me than just the brief moment of like maybe he recognizes Jane yeah it and I wanted like to ask he you maybe guys does. about that yeah, but it wasn't clear yeah. for sure. It was like, or is he just, is he just like, this is beside the point I'm going after Celeste. But like, I think maybe he did like just in the widening of the eyes, but like we don't get that confirmed in the, in the show. Like, again, it just all plays out so fast. Basically the, he, there's this moment of like accusation, even just in the way Jane is looking at Celeste and like confirming this was him. Um, and then he just, he just goes into a rage and then, there's like a scuffle and then he dies basically Bonnie. And then the other thing is like Bonnie, you know, kind of comes out of nowhere and does that. Um, she, I guess she kind of comes out of nowhere in the, in the book too. But even then she even has this line of like, we see you. And like, she, she yeah. more characters interact with, with Perry. And I thought after reading the book, I was like, Ooh, I'm, I'm so excited to see the scene play out in the show. And then I was a little underwhelmed by the version of it in the show. Um, I didn't hate it, but I was a little underwhelmed. I wanted some of those character interactions. Yeah, and talking about Perry recognizing Jane, because in the TV show, like the look he gives to Jane I took is him being like, oh, like I remember her. Yeah. Which again, it's not straight out said. But the fact that he doesn't even remember her in the book is such a huge part where the fact I think that he does remember says, her, but I think he just doesn't care. He's like, he's like, ah, oh, he's like, ah, oh, whatever, I don't care. She he's doesn't also, matter, is what is clear. Like she, I think he remembers her, but she doesn't matter. And that's what is so infuriating, I think, to all the women present. She says, like you said, your name was Saxon Banks. So I took him to be like, Well, I use that name, you know, when I'm out of town. So that I took it as like the name being looked yeah, like for like him. He's but like, oh, it must have been me. It shows yeah. how he did this to many women, and that That's was like the, five yeah. or six years ago now. And so he's like, what? Like, yeah. I don't remember her. It meant nothing. Yeah. And Celeste is like, it meant something to her. <laughs> it changed yeah. her life. I think in the last episode, I, I mentioned something like, oh, maybe this guy's a serial killer. Um, not serial killer confirmed, but serial rapist does seem likely. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was right there. Um, and like you were saying, how like. <laughs> Celeste has this perceived idea of the power dynamic going on and just like how she has this perceived idea of seeing the full picture of Perry right and like yeah. well he's not like all bad and then in that moment she's like wow like I really don't know him yeah it all comes <laughs> and, crashing down yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah like all the excuses she's been making mm -hmm. yeah which like also the moments like the building tension book and tv show when Perry is like oh you got a call from your apartment and you're just like yeah. oh my gosh uh but also when she's like, you know, Max is the one that's been bullying the girls. And he's like, I'll talk to him. And she's like, what are you going to say? That that's not yeah. how you treat a woman? Like, mm -hmm. uh, that was such a great moment in both. We didn't talk about that reveal that it was Max. I, yeah. And I loved in the TV show, I loved how they had Celeste approach Max. Yeah. And she goes up and she hugs him and she's like, you know, approaches him with love. Such a great scene. And the scene between yeah. Jane and Celeste, when Jane is like, they're kids, they grow out of it. And she's like, sometimes they don't. I also love the way she she did that. She did, she did approach it with love. And I think anger would have been understandable, but she recognizes that her allowing this abuse to continue is clearly one of the reasons why this happened with her kid. And that she thought they were separate from it and didn't ever see anything but then she says like maybe they did hear it and they probably did and clearly that's what's been affecting max and when i get back to that like nature versus nurture argument like i think the show is repeatedly going with the nurture side of things because ziggy's fine 
even though he has the same bio- biology, right? Like he's the same biological father, mm-hmm. but it's it's the one who grew up around the abuse that is actually the culprit. Um, yeah, and it's not to say he's irredeemable, but like you know that that they're saying like that's where it comes from, and like even Perry. I think in both versions, like he was bullied as a kid and like that legacy of violence that we talked about so much, like it seems like that has gone on to make him into the bully he grew into be, which sucks. And like, I, I get like that that is a real thing that happens a lot. Like I've listened to lots of true crime podcasts that talk about like the upbringing of serial killers and often there is horrific abuse. But there are, I feel like we do sometimes lose out on the stories of all the people who suffer that kind of abuse and go on to be good people who don't perpetuate it because that does happen as well. That's a big part in the end, too, is how yeah. Tom throws. In the book, it's Harper's husband. In the TV show, it's Renata's husband. But he throws him out. And then afterwards, it's revealed that he's not gay and he's into Jane. Yeah. So I thought that worked a bit better in the book. Okay. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So I agree it works better. I, I just think the show was, like, less interested in that. Yeah. Like, it seemed like they were just less interested in telling that story. I, I will admit it was, like, okay. So at first, I was, like, it's a little eye-rolly. Like, of course he's not gay. It's kind of perfect. It's kind of tropey, honestly, to have the like safe guy who's perceived as gay revealed to not be gay. And then he can be a love interest because now like you haven't been perceiving him as like a a threat, I guess, or like even as like a potential. And then Mm -hmm. I reveal that, oh, he is. And yet I've been so vulnerable with him and he's been so kind. Like it's an it's a trope. I think for a reason um i don't read a ton of romance but like i'm pretty sure this is something that happens in in some romance books it's probably not completely novel um and so it getting introduced into this book i thought was kind of a weird fit at first because i was like oh jane so it's almost like they're setting her up to be almost rescued emotionally by this guy Mm -hmm. um and and it made her feel less like independent to me um so i wasn't in love with that but i will say there was that moment of the kiss um, after she thinks that the relationship has like not she's like oh like it was like it had like an ember that got stomped out at the party and now it doesn't seem like it's going to happen and I guess we're just going to be friends but then like she has this kiss and she's like oh I guess like kisses don't have to be at like night in the dark they can be in the daylight and and like I thought it was like an uplifting nice moment to where I came back around on that with Tom and it felt like a good ending for her you know yeah in the book it is an ending whereas here it's like Again, I think it just kind of gets drawn out in the season two because it doesn't really go a lot anywhere. Right. Yeah, and I was going to specifically mention that moment too when she's like, oh, we had to like drunkenly kiss. But then she's like, oh, like <laughs> it doesn't have to be drunken and it doesn't have to be at nighttime. It can be in the middle of the day and just seeing how like how it can be like a positive thing and not yeah. uh, something that's kind of tainted with like drunkenness or whatever. And so yeah, Which I thought that was a good definitely for Jane. separates it out from the assault that that occurred to her, exactly. right? Like it's very different. So I want to jump back to the finale just to to give you my perspective on the book versus the show and sort of what I think each one did that I liked. So I was mentioning before Ed, I liked I liked his perspective because he was the person who was saying like, "What are you talking about? None of this is going to go the way you think it's going to go," which is sort of the voice of reason because. It would be near impossible to lie to, to for everybody to lie have perfect stories set up and all of that but what they do in the show like you mentioned luke they they remove ed from the equation and they really center on these women supporting other women and like i think that that ending in the way that well i did miss bonnie's that line that bonnie has is so powerful in the book because it is hearkening back to that baggage that we know that she has like the the yeah. trauma that she has from abuse in her family but there's a very small amount that's implied in the show that that's still the same reason and then yeah just the way that 
it plays out in the book where Bonnie eventually confesses, I found to be less interesting than we're all going to form together and create this community and we're going to we're going to completely evade the authorities. I would say from the reveal in the show of Perry being Jane's assaulter and all of the things that we learn all in that same moment. And then the fact that the fight, which we kind of jumped over, is like we're losing the fact that they're each individually interacting with him but he assaults every single one of them in the show. So then they yeah. all have skin in the game to be like, fuck this guy even more than they did before because they're all fighting with him. And I thought, you know, like you said, the visceral nature of this, the crashing of the waves and the way that they shot that scene yeah. with like near silence too. It's like maybe just the crashing of the waves. The people staircase, are by the way. I think I also yeah. called it staircase. You did call that, yeah. <laughs> people are screaming at each other, but it's all muted. Yeah. I thought it was so powerful. You can kind of understand what they're saying. And then this leads basically through everybody's in a daze through the end scene when the, they're being treated by the police and or, or by the medics and everything and then into the scene where they're all giving their confession and we all know they're giving the same confession because that detective then clicks the lighter and says hey they're all saying the same exact thing almost verbatim there's something else going on here but if they don't have the evidence to show anything else and all these women stand stand by each other they'll yeah. get away with it so i don't know that something about that the the messaging of the show being about community and women believing each other and standing by each other i found to be like really powerful so so i think you're highlighting a thematic difference in the show in the book that i'm that i'm picking up on because we talked about right with tom everything's coming to light there's a moment of purity at the end celeste at the end coming out revealing her truth standing up in front of these people and giving a talk about abuse bonnie doing this thing choosing to not continue to hide it and to reveal it to the police so there's a lot of like coming out with the truth mm -hmm. that happens in the book in the show almost all of that is still under wraps it's still being lied about yes i can celebrate them at the end but ultimately they are lying about what happened there's not that sort of like things coming to light and there being sort of a, an empowerment and and no longer lying to people right. and like having yeah. the truth revealed yeah. um now i don't know where they go in season two maybe it eventually gets there but um that makes that the end just feels like it ends on a different note yeah right? totally like you said it's more of like an open it's like a in the cold light of day everything has been revealed and everybody's being truthful and everybody's being their true self whereas the other version is we we have to form a pack together and stand up against the you know the patriarchal society or whatever the systemic system that we're we're facing that's gonna right. that's gonna see us as criminals for this even though every single one of us has a reason to have you know gotten back at this person it kind of comes down to whether you feel like they were in the right or not killing this person like is I mean, killing yeah, somebody fuck him. throw him down yeah. the stairs <laughs> right it's like is killing somebody ever, ever justified and kind of that stuff as yeah, well yeah this scenario yeah <laughs> yeah and uh james makes a good point about like the empowerment of them standing together and sharing the secret but then also like luke says i do think that them having to lie is such a huge part of this book and i love the part where bonnie and celeste have this exchange where first of all like ed he talks to Bonnie after all of this and he's like, she's acting like everything is normal. Like, how is she capable of that? But she's capable because she comes from a childhood of abuse where you had to act normal afterwards. And so when she and Celeste are talking and Celeste is like, you know, I would have lied for you. Like, I'm really good at lying. And she's like, you know, I believe you are because when you have this life, you need to keep a secret. You're really good at lying about it. And so I just loved how but both of them are just done with lying. But like bon right? yeah, Bonnie didn't want to make her have to do that again, right? Yeah, and so I mm. love that in the book. And also going back to Bonnie's childhood about how like 
when she was an adult, she went to visit her parents and she hid under the bed when her dad got violent and how we revert back to these things from our childhood. Yeah. But she's like, you know, I'm not going to revert back to my childhood ways and be lying about this. Like, I'm just going to come out and be honest and not be keeping secrets anymore. In that respect, I liked how the book had that ending with them all just being open and being yeah. honest and not hiding things. It feels to me like a decision was made to to put that off to season two. And it was like, we can end on a different note and save some of this for season two. It's interesting though, because like I said, it was, it was a limited series. I don't know that anybody knew it was going to go on for any more than this. Yeah. And if that was the, if this was truly the end, it would have been a very different vibe because you, yeah, you don't get to revisit any of that. And like, we didn't talk about like the party itself. Uh, I thought it was clever to kind of switch it up and have it be much more because like it's it, I guess it is a trivia night in both, but um, it feels much more like a big prom dance, like karaoke extravaganza. Like there's like <laughs> lights and the red carpet and like it's so over the top. Um, and I thought it was cool that you get actors to get up there and, and give their performances. Although I did read um, Zoe Kravitz is the only one who was actually her singing. I mean, um, when Adam Scott got up there, I'm like, that's not his voice. That's you not know. him. But the, but then uh, Nathan, it also wasn't him. Yeah, I, I thought was also pretty obvious that it wasn't him. I was glad Adam Scott shaved his beard for the final episode. That's so old. <laughs> he had this huge beard. That just I like the beard. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a facial hair uh, fan, I guess. I, I like yeah, it. I'm not against yeah. facial hair on the whole, but like on him, it just looked mm. weird. <laughs> yeah, I get it. It's cool to see a change like that, too, though, because his hair was down in his face the whole time. And then they have it yeah. like up in the Elvis do and then he loses the beard and stuff. And then I like how serious he was about getting the performance right. And like he was they they were making a competition, which I can't help but think how stressful all of their lives are, because everything uh, they do is constantly competition. And they're like, let um, me go karaoke night at yeah. my kids, some some trivia night. And, and it's going to be this massive thing that I think about for weeks. <laughs> what, and what a, what a dick move by Nathan too, being like so jealous and competitive. Like yeah. he's, he's definitely being an asshole there. But the one thing I did hear, my wife actually looked this up. Um, Adam Scott did multiple weeks of vocal rehearsals to try and prepare to do his karaoke scene. And he got up there and started singing and the director was like, all right, we're going to have to stop that and bring somebody else in. Woof. <laughs> 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 Uh -huh. <laughs> hey, I don't know. I don't know how shot. bad it was, but apparently it was like he heard it once and was like, "All right, we're gonna have to bring in a ringer." <laughs> but with that trivia night, I did like we talked about with Bonnie how it's hinted at in the TV show, which I love the part not in the book, but it's in the show where she's talking to Ed, and she's like, "You know, we all have baggage because people mm. will use that excuse, be like, oh, you don't understand what I have going on in my life, and that's why I'm difficult, or that's why I'm a jerk.'" But she's like, "We all have something, so don't yeah. use that excuse." Um, but yeah, and then the way it's filmed where she just keeps seeing things like out of the corner of her eye and looking over being like, what's happening? And she's noticing, yeah. you know, Celeste and Perry. And so I love the way that that was filmed in the show, which that was a difference too, because in the show, Celeste and Perry show up and they're like clearly arguing and having difficulties. Whereas in the show they show up or in the book, they show up and they're acting like everything is normal. I do like that. There's like this closing of the ranks between the women, right? Like, cause they're, we've seen them at each other's throats the entire time. Mm -hmm. and then when this happens it's like all of a sudden now they all have each other's backs to touch on the scene too that we we have a little bit but there's the beach scene there each has different kind of epilogues there's the beach scene here which i think again solidifies like they're a tight-knit community now they're they're going to continue to cover it for each other and then there's like quite a few we kind of get every character's perspective in the book as to like where they're ending up and yeah. like a, so many of them like kind of jump forward because i think a year has gone by right a year goes book. by yeah. yeah and then so like um Celeste has like left her husband, I think, 
and they're off and they're moving to Europe or something. And or, oh, sorry, not Renata. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think she leaves him, and then yeah. like I think Harper is the other one who like her husband was also having an affair, or was it somebody else? I don't remember. Somebody else's husband was also having an affair with a nanny, and yeah. but doesn't leave him. Yeah, it's interesting. But just interesting to kind of see the trajectory of a year going by and seeing sure. where all the characters end up, and then also knowing that Moriarty wrote material for season two, which takes place directly after the events. Kind of interesting to. You know, Does it? Okay, interesting. I, I, wanna, right after, I want to. I want. I do want to see season two. I assume it's more controversial, just from everything I've been hearing and yeah. reading tea leaves from people who've seen it. Um, I'm still. I'm still interested. Maybe we could do like season two as a bonus episode or something for Patreon. I think it'd be fun too. You know, I want to keep watching. I, they're they're to to give you another little hint to to or maybe a little tease to get you into it is, um, Meryl Streep joins the cast. Oh, yeah. Wow. So okay, another heavy hitter. Yeah. Comes in and and like you know I think is pretty cool they, um, they also changed the um in the book they i mean in both there was like these really heavy drinks and like everyone was like you know very intoxicated and it was a bad kind of powder keg situation but in the book there's like simultaneously fist fights breaking out inside while yeah. everything is going on on the balcony and then like two dads come like rushing out and like slam into madeline and was it, who was the other one was it uh jane like two of our yeah, characters like they break are their wrist or like, yeah like breaks her collarbone and like breaks her wrist and they get like injured significantly by these dads who are just like having a fist fight i guess um and it was just over like some bullshit i don't know and like yeah. i guess they did a good job to like set up the powder keg situation um in the book but like i thought it was interesting that none of that really plays out other than other than ed and nathan like grabbing at each other but they don't yeah. even like really hit each other. I think it's interesting though, because I think that's a device to like add tension to the situation and the way that they shot and the and some of the changes that they made for the fina for this whole final sequence is like we've said, Perry and Celeste are fighting, they get there. Uh, Madeline keeps like Madeline and Ed keep looking over it at Jonathan and Tori or whatever their names are. And those are some of the sit and then Bonnie's running over and then you know, Madeline's intoxicated. And then you're getting like the way that they're shooting it is like long lens with like things obscuring and we're kind of seeing through bushes and seeing through. And so it just, everything's building up and feeling really tense. And then it yeah. builds to eventually that, you know, pouring over for the film. Yeah, and I guess it makes sense. Cause like I had already read it, but like in the show, they're still trying to like, who's going to be the one who gets yeah. killed? Like what's going to be the one, what's going to be the thing um, that tips over and like, and then Bonnie comes rushing in and does the shove um was that just completely shocking i mean it was shocking no matter what but i'm just assuming as a show watcher it was like well where did that come from oh yeah you know i think that there's enough there for you to know why she would do something like that and then again yeah. it just feels like another moment where like in this in this context like hearing you guys talk about some of the reasons why the book also represents sort of women protecting women and being truthful to each other something about it in the show when bonnie runs in you're like of course she would see the scenario seeing someone who's going through something similar to her i don't know it just feels different to me as far as like what the what this ending was supposed to represent uh, i do not. want to talk about some of the future of uh like what was seen as the future of the show because there was a second season and there were talks of a third um really at wow. the time hbo president casey bloys said a third season on the show was not realistic though due to scheduling the show's actors, but mentioned that the network is more than willing to greenlight it if the cast is able to work out their schedule. So you think about all these people and scheduling them would be a nightmare, um, but worth it because of the talent that they have. And then in 2020, Nicole Kidman, uh, during a press conference said that Leanne Moriarty was writing more plot for a potential third season and that the cast and crew were excited to unite for, reunite for it. But we know 
um, Jean-Marc Vallée tragically passed away. And, you know, that's actually fairly recent in the grand scheme. But in November 2022, Zoe Kravitz confirmed that the series would not return for a third season because of the director's passing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, that makes sense, I think. You, you don't want to, like, keep it going just because it's making yeah. money, right? You could tell how much his his vision was important to like the the show in general. Reese Witherspoon like handpicked Jean Marc Vallée and was like she had worked with him in this movie called Wild, and she was like, "I want to work with you again. Would you be interested in the, in working on the show Big Little Lies that she Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman were kind of putting together as producers?" And that's when I talked about she, he was originally only going to sh- direct the first two episodes and then came on for the whole thing, and it kind of turns into his creative vision throughout and. It's it is very unique for a show. Like you know, you can see his style, you can see his his fingerprints all over it. So yeah, yeah. it kind of makes sense to me as well. Yeah, and it's right. interesting because then Nicole Kidman was also in Nine Perfect Strangers, which is another Moriarty adaptation, and I think she's attached to another one too. Which wow. they're both Australian, so maybe they're like yeah. Uh, so actually, each other. you're you're totally right there. I read Bruna Papandria is Reese Witherspoon's producing partner and a childhood friend of Nicole Kidman. So that's kind of how they got together for oh. this. Um, she got the two united over the project. After she approached Kidman about the novel, Kidman read the book overnight, later went to Australia to sit down with the author, Leanne Moriarty, to obtain the rights to the book. She received it 48 hours later. Nice. There you go. Yeah, and if Nicole Kidman flies out to talk to you, you know, it's going to be hard yeah. to say no. <laughs> uh, well, if, if there's not anything else, I think it, it could be time to cast our votes on which was ultimately better. Um, we'll have you go last, Laura, to be the potential tiebreaker. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, I was back and forth on this a bit. Um, right at the end of the, the show, my wife kind of immediately turned to me because she's a, a fan of the book and was like, mm-hmm. all right, what was better? Show her show book. And I'm like, I'm not ready yet. I have to like sit with it for a while and really think. I have a process. Um, yeah, I have a process. And then like going through this conversation, I think like helped me, helped me kind of come around to it. I think I'm going to give it to the book. Um, I, I, there was a lot I liked about the show. I think it's a good adaptation. Um, I like this director a lot. You know, we talked about other things he's done with Sharp Objects. And there was a lot of good stuff here. Well-performed. Um, but I just think it just comes together really well in the book. And I think part of it is it also like that little denouement we get in the book where we wrap up a lot of things. I missed that in the show. Um, but then I think the thing that really put it over the top, as much as I like them omitting Ed and, and or keeping Ed and, and Nathan away from the final confrontation, I, I just liked the final confrontation a little bit more in the book. Like I liked a little bit more of these characters actually exchanging words, whereas it went right into the sort of violent explosion. For me, at least, I, I, I think I just kind of preferred the way that all played out in the book. And then, yeah, we've talked about the way that she was able to balance the tone um, between that light and, and darkness. And I thought that just really worked well in the book and it was just really readable, really enjoyable. So yeah. I'll give it to Leanne Moriarty for the original. So in this case, I'm going to take the, the show. And I know that that's not that shocking, but my reasoning is this. The book for me was that lighter tone. And I appreciate it for that because I do like sort of a dark comedy as well. I like the idea of something that can balance the two because both exist in our world. And honestly, when things get bad for me, I've often found that like there there's like that weird side to things that's also can be like just absurd and and funny in ways and really knew what it wanted to set out to do it was like we want to tell this mystery um with tons of drama that like i said is unlike things that i've read in the past that especially mysteries that because typically they're more pulpy but this is approachable 
in, in a way that I think it's is just showing why it's as successful as it is. The show took all of that and it doesn't necessarily explain to you like the book does. It's not giving you, hey, this is this is how this character is feeling. This is how this character is feeling. They have a lot of like these these people who are seen as like rich and perfect in ways looking out at these ocean and they're so conflicted about their lives and the way that we just like live with that in the show. And it reflects like no matter the scenario, all these characters are have unhappiness and all these characters have things that are that make them similar. And ultimately, the way that like that plays out through the show in all these people who are pitted against each other, then come to form this this single unit, which is kind of the same as what we get in the book. But ultimately, like the way that everything came to a head for me, like and and, the, and something about the perspective of what the women do in this story, I like the idea of whether it's unhealthy to hold on to these secrets i like the idea of them banding together and be like fuck everybody else we're gonna handle this and we're gonna we're gonna make it about us protecting ourselves and i don't know something about that like uh to my sensibilities i, I like more yeah and i i definitely like the tv show and i'm glad i finally did watch it and i do think i'll be watching the second season because i'm curious what they do with that and the casting was perfect i know you guys talked about in the last episode yeah so i did love the tv show and it was a harder choice than i expected and it's tough too because whichever one you experience first i think in a situation like this you almost are going to be biased in some ways because you know when that reveal happens however whether you experienced it with the tv show or the book it's just like so insane mm -hmm. uh, i'm still gonna say i prefer the book overall but the book you know i was talking about the TV show having stuff that feels like filler. And this time around reading the book, I felt like that too, kind of like the stuff with Abigail and her website, because I knew ultimately it doesn't, you know, it doesn't lead anywhere in the grand scheme of things. So as I was reading, it almost felt like that was filler. That comes up at the end and Perry true. finds out that she did that. And it's like That's one true. more domino falling, I think. Where yeah, so he says something rude to her and people are like, hey, calm down, Perry. Yeah, <laughs> he says um, she didn't make any she doesn't make any money, but she knows how to spend it. And that's where Renata comes in and defends yeah. her. And I do love in both book and movie, obviously, this is a huge theme is how you know, throughout the book and TV show, the women are like pitted against each other and just being really mean and um, maybe not manipulative, but just being really mean to each other. And we often see that like stereotype where like, oh, women can't be friends with each other and they're all in competition with each other. And so I love that ultimately though, it's a story about friendship between, you know, the three main characters, but how in the end it's between, you know, the five women who were involved and how they all stand up for each other. And it's about how women banding together, right? And not that stereotype of like, they're all in competition and they're all against each other. And so I love that message. Even being a woman myself, sometimes I'm surprised at how often books and movies created by women talk about different types of abuse, whether it's like sexual assault or something. It comes up so often, right? And that shows how often it does happen, because otherwise, why would women be constantly writing about it, right? It's a woman who has experienced not the level of Celeste or Jane, obviously, but even with myself, I'll be surprised at how common it is. And so books and TV shows like this just bring that to light about how it's a huge issue. Yeah, ultimately, I'm going to say I like the book better still. And Moriarty, she often wraps things up very clean at the end of her books, almost too much, where she kind of mm. goes on too long explaining what's happening with all of these characters. And so for my taste, I'm kind of like, I don't need every little detail about what's happening with them. <laughs> she kind of does too much. But 
nonetheless yeah I still love the book and like I said this was my third time reading it and I was still like so sucked in and I read it so much faster than I thought I would and yeah so awesome cool. all right well the book takes it sorry James no I mean <laughs> rightfully so you know I was outvoted <laughs> Um, uh, we wanted to announce that we're actually going to be doing like a crossover episode to the Why the Book Wins uh, YouTube channel, which you should subscribe to if you don't already. And uh, I think it's going to be coming out in like a month. We're going to do, we're going to play a game. Yeah. So on the computer, you can like set up this wheel of different adaptations and then the wheel randomly selects one. And so whichever one it selects, it'll be one that we've all covered like on your show and that I've covered on my show. Uh, and then we can talk about each adaptation and it's like, uh, readapt, rewatch, or burn. So if it's one mm. that we would rewatch again because it was amazing and it was a perfect adaptation, or if it's one that like readapt where it's like, you know, it got some things right, but there's some changes I would make. Or if it's a burn where it was just a horrible adaptation. So it'll just <laughs> be a fun time to talk about movies and adaptations. And right. So yeah. yeah I like to gamify this stuff too. So I'm I'm down for it. That yeah. sounds very fun. So look out for that video on her channel. Um, thank you so much for coming on again, Laura. This was this was a lot of fun. And I think a perspective that this show really needed. So I'm glad we were able to have you on for it. Yeah. When you reached out to me, like with our traveling, I wasn't able to do it last week. So thankfully, Luke was camping last week. And this yeah, all it worked out. out. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So uh, if you wanted to just really quickly plug, where can people find you online? So YouTube and then the podcast is available wherever you get podcasts. Uh, and then I'm on Instagram. I do have a Twitter and a Facebook, but my activity on both is kind of sporadic, whereas Instagram, mm. I'm more consistent. So Instagram is the best place as far as social media goes. And right. I have a website, so you can go to Why the Book Wins, and I have links to all of this. Cool. Well, Thanks again for coming on. This was great. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Laura. So make sure to stick around to the end of the episode when we'll be announcing our next project. But if you enjoyed this episode, please let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever app you chose to listen on. Or if you're on YouTube, make sure to like the video. And make sure to connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at ink to film And if you'd like to support us in another way, uh, we are, have a Patreon, patreon.com slash film And that's where you can also get the chance to vote for community projects like this one. Uh, help us uh, select things to cover in the future. It's also where you can get access to bonus content that we release monthly. Um, I just actually put another episode out of my journey to trying to get my book published and trying to query literary agents. So I talk about the process there and you can learn about what that looks like um, from the writer point of view. So if that sounds interesting to you, we'd love to have you on Patreon. Uh, and that's patreon.com slash inktofilm. And thank you to Dylan Owen for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, so all that's left to do is to announce our next project. Um, and that is going to be a return to Cormac McCarthy for The Road. Uh, his recent passing just made me want to read him even more. Um, I'm excited to get back to The Road. It's a book that I've read, I think, twice now. So this will be my third time through it. Um, only second time watching the movie. How about you? It'll be the second time for me as well, yeah. The movie? Yep. Have you ever read the book? Never read the book. Uh, excited to get into the book. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that first. So many just amazing passages um, from that from that novel. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, you know, great author who we just lost. So I think it, the time is right to revisit. Yeah. And I mean, we really had a good time with No Country for Old Men. So I can't imagine that I'm not going to love this next one. Absolutely. All right. That's going to be it. Uh, thank you again for selecting Big Little Lies. Uh, for patrons, if you're still listening, we really appreciate it. And until next time, keep adapting. Uh